Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. What's up, guys? We're excited to be joined by Lewis and Clark College Pioneers head coach Matt Kazderka. Coach Kazderka's roots run deep in the Pacific Northwest, where he's had tremendous success as both a player and coach. He was an NAIA first team All American and the NWC Player of the Year as a standout pitcher for Willamette University. His accomplishments litter the Bearcats' record books, and he was both drafted by the Texas Rangers and elected to the Willamette Athletics Hall of Fame. As a coach, he has over a decade of experience in the high school ranks and recently made the jump from college assistant to head coach, taking over the helm for the Pioneers in 2017. He founded the hashtag MaskUpMonday Catcher's Informational Group on Twitter and is very active on social media promoting college baseball and doing a great job of sharing development tips for players of all levels. Uh, we're really excited to welcome Coach Kazderka to the podcast. We got a chance to meet him in person at the ABCA convention just a few days ago. Coach Kazderka, thanks for joining us on the podcast today to talk shop. Uh, thanks a lot for having me, Ethan. I hope we uh, have a good conversation. Yeah, it should be good. Let's jump right into it, man. Why don't you start off by just kind of breaking down your career in baseball and tell us how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I was a, a three-sport athlete in a small uh, town in southern Oregon called Roseburg, and um, I was pretty good at all three, but not great at any of them. Um, and I realized when I was 16 that I really loved baseball, and that's what I wanted to do. And so uh, I was fortunate to get the opportunity to play in college at, at Willamette University in, in Salem, Oregon, and um, I had a, a decent career there. And I uh, was fortunate to get, get drafted out of there and play a couple years with the Texas Rangers and um, had a lot of success, but when you start to play against guys like Josh Hamilton and Carl Crawford and those kind of guys every day, you realize that, you know, as a 87 to 90 mile hour guy, you're probably not going to make the big leagues. And so, uh, they did me a favor and released me around 2001 and, uh, decided that, you know, I wanted to make sure I gave back, um, to the people who've really helped me out and honored them. And so I decided to get in, uh, I spent a year as a study hall coordinator and a JV baseball coach at, uh, a school here right outside of Portland. And then, did my graduate work at Concordia University in Portland. I was a grad assistant there for a year. And then after that, I was fortunate to get uh, hired as the head baseball coach and as a teacher at Wilsonville High School, which is just south of Portland, where I live now. And I was there for uh, 10 years as a teacher and 10 years as the head coach. And then before I came to Lewis and Clark, I was uh, an assistant at Willamette University, my alma mater. It was a great opportunity to really kind of learn the college game and kind of get my feet wet, especially in the recruiting side of things. And uh, again, was very fortunate to have an opportunity to come here to Lewis and Clark and, and take over the program two years ago, and uh, that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah, so tell us a little more about that transition 
and kind of how you got the guys to to buy into your philosophies and coaching style has that been easy and and what are some of the steps that you did to kind of ease that transition for everyone I would say that it's uh, never really easy to come in and take over a program obviously when guys choose to come to a college for a coaching staff and that coaching staff's not here anymore that's always kind of a tough transition for them but right. what I try to do coming in is just really kind of let them know what I was about and really model the things that I was about um, you know I kind of put our, our five pillars into place and talk to them about a different definition of success and um, I you know really try to model those things and, and allow them to kind of see what that looked like and uh, the buy has been pretty good uh, overall you know obviously we still have a little bit of work to do and um, you know when you try to change habits that's that's definitely a, a difficult task, but I think we've done a pretty good job of really turning our program into one that's positive and one that uh, is able to handle failure. Um, and, and I think it's just going to continue to build from there. Yeah, and, and it seems like you guys have already made some significant gains from the time that you took over. Yeah, I'd say it's it's, it's still a work in progress. Um, if you look at our record on the field, you know, obviously we were better last year than we were the year before, but um, we have a lot higher goals than that, and so. Um, you know, we're just going to continue to build and put the pieces in place. And the longer the guys are around uh, our kind of our system and our philosophies, I think that's just going to help them continue to grow as a program. Yeah, great. Well, I want to talk a lot about your program, um, some other topics, uh, you know, the way you run your offense and your defense, what it takes to be a college baseball player, recruiting, of course. Um, why don't we start off by talking about just D3 baseball in general, you know, despite having more players than any other division in NCAA it seems like you know sometimes D three just doesn't get any love. Why do you think that is? I think with a lot of the Division three schools, uh, they're just not well publicized, and people don't really know about it. You know, I've had conversations with recruits, and they ask about like, hey, do we have formal practices and those kind of things? And uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard to hear those kind of things because you you'd like to think you get a little more credit than that, but um, it's definitely something that's just not very publicized. You know, I think a lot of the schools that are at the Division three level are known more for academics and those kind of things, and so. Um, it's just not out there as much, but I think uh, when people kind of get an idea of what it's about and they come see it, uh, they realize that it's a pretty legitimate option for a lot of people, not only academically, but uh, the baseball is pretty good too. Yeah, so give your best sales pitch for a player out there who might be considering D3 baseball. What do you see as, as some of the major benefits to playing at that level? For me, I think the biggest benefit is that you get to have the whole college experience, and that's something we really talk about a lot here at Lewis and Clark is you know, if you're a Division One guy or a JUCO guy or a D2 NEI guy, uh, the time commitment is a lot heavier at those schools. Um, and I know a lot of kids, uh, especially at the Division One level, have online classes and don't even actually go to a class. And so, at the Division Three level, we have a little bit less uh, availability with our coaching staff and our players, um, as far as the fall especially. And so, uh, that allows our guys to really have time to explore different things. Uh, we really encourage our kids to go abroad um, and really kind of experience everything that goes along with college, and they get to be a real college student. Uh, so I think that's a great thing. And also, most of the D3 schools are pretty high academic schools. They're going to definitely challenge them in the classroom as well as the baseball field and hopefully set them up for a pretty good career down the road. Yeah, and full disclosure, you know, I, we spoke about this at the convention. I'm also a D3 prod, product at a, a similar, very a school that's very similar to LMC. Um, and, you know, that those those options to study abroad, you know, I had a radio show. I was able to do some other things. But uh, but also the baseball is pretty pretty serious as well. So it's a nice balance, and it's nice that you kind of allow your players to explore all their interests. Um, at the same time, do you do you see that as a drawback, or are there any major drawbacks to D three baseball that you think um, 
deserve some attention? Uh, I would say it's hard to really think of a ton of drawbacks. Maybe that, you know, overall the rosters are not going to be quite as uh, solid as some of the Division One programs, obviously. You know, uh, as far as pitching, the velocity is a little bit less. You're going to see it on a normal day. So uh, there's definitely a, a little legitimate challenge and very good baseball players and very good baseball programs at the Division Three level. So maybe the quality from top to bottom isn't quite as good as those upper levels. So that's kind of a, a you know, something that people have to kind of look at. Um, you know, I'd say maybe we don't have as much gear and as fancy facilities and those kind of things as some of the bigger programs. But for the most part, I think, uh, you know, our guys have a, a similar experience as far as the baseball thing goes. Um, and so I wouldn't say there's a ton of drawbacks as far as that goes. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of a lot of programs at the D3 level that actually do play against Division One teams from time to time and beat them. So the, the level of baseball is, um, as you mentioned, it's really quite good. And, and you can find schools of all different levels. Uh, even within that sure. D3 D3 rank. Um, one of the major differences between D3 baseball, um, and as you mentioned, kind of it can be a great benefit too to allow students the opportunity to explore other interests and focus on their academics a little bit more. But one of the limitations is that on-field coaching time during the fall. Can you kind of explain what those uh, what the restrictions are on you as a coach and how you're maximizing your time spent with those guys on the field? Sure. For us in our conference, the Northwest Conference, we're allowed 16 days in the fall. Uh, I know some other conferences are allowed even less, down to like 12. So there's definitely a, a limitation on how much time we get to work with our players. Um, and that, that can be maybe a little bit of a drawback. Um, I know some of the other levels, they have like individual time and a longer uh, fall period. But um, that's kind of the limitations we're forced to deal with. And so we try to make the most of whatever we have. Um, and so we look at practice a little bit differently than maybe some other programs do, where we look at the whole day as an opportunity, not just the you know, an afternoon practice. And so uh, we try to do a lot of other individual things. Uh, all of our guys have individual hitting times uh, on the days that we do practice with our hitting coach, Eric Del Prado. And um, so he gets to work with those guys. And then uh, I work with all the extra defensive guys, and our pitching coach, Brandon Rupp, works with all the other pitching guys. So we really try to maximize our time to get some extra individual work in addition to the time that we spend as a team. And so as a coach, are you looking at the fall, you know, before school starts and kind of laying that out? Uh, ahead of time basically knowing what you guys are going to be doing are you uh taking it week to week as you know you see what what is needed uh with the team or how are you kind of scheduling that out and, and mapping that out and what what type of adjustments are you making throughout the course of the fall yeah we, we try to kind of have it all kind of a master plan uh kind of a system and then obviously there's adjustments that need to be made but we try to practice on tuesdays and wednesdays for us and so we can really uh, go over the things that we think are important in our program um, and also introduce those to the new guys. Um, and then usually our weekends, our Friday, Sunday stuff is more of a scrimmage type situation. So we can really see, you know, number one, for the new guys, what they have and what they can do. And number two, for the returning guys, kind of the adjustments that they've made. And uh, we try to spend a lot of time really kind of getting on the field and getting as many baseball-like situations as we can on those days. That's awesome. It's awesome. Um can you walk us through what it looks like to be a pioneer player? So what, is, what does a typical day look like in the fall from the time that the alarm goes off to the time that the head hits the pillow at night? It's a, it's a very full day. Um, you know, most of our guys have uh, classes uh, in the morning. So some guys will have classes at 8, some at 9. Some days they won't have class uh, based on their schedule. But most of our guys have a pretty heavy load in the morning. Um, they used to try to get a, you know, lunch in if they have time around 11, 30, 12. Uh, some guys will have classes after that. 
Uh, they don't have classes after that. Um, they may have their lifting groups for the day. So our, we're lucky to have a, a strength coach here who puts together different lifting times based on their class schedule. So they try to get you know pretty consistent weight room work in. And uh, some guys will obviously go in there on their own as well. Um, and then you know when our, when our normal practices are in play, we're, we practice from 3:30 to 6 pretty much every day. So some of our guys will get some extra work uh, right before practice starts, whether it's down at the facility or here on campus um, with our coaches or on their own. And then we practice from 3:30 to 6. Uh, when we're done with that, guys uh, run back to campus to get some some food in them real quick, and then most of the guys spend you know three four hours a night studying, uh, making sure they're on top of their academics. Um, and there's probably a little bit of Fortnite time and, and mixing in between that, and right. a little bit of you know Snapchat and, and, and uh, Instagram time as well. But you know, for the most part, our guys are uh, pretty scheduled out for most of the day, and that's one of the things we're really focused on is that time management. I think that's a big key to succeeding in college as a student and as an athlete. And so, uh, our guys do a pretty good job of that. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned is just some of the variability, and um, I wanted to touch a little bit on on what are your, what are your guys studying because I think that's one of the major benefits to you know D three baseball experiences. You know, some programs at the Division one level it just simply doesn't work if you want to be a a science major or an engineer major. So, do you guys have a a specific focus or major that a lot of guys do, or is it pretty widespread? Clark. Uh, we're fortunate to have 29 different majors for our kids to choose from. and We have guys in the sciences, we have guys in history, we have guys in rhetoric and media studies. Uh, some of our guys are international affairs or uh, economics or some of the ones that they go to. And uh, Like I said, you know, the D3 level is something that we're going to make sure they can do whatever they want to do. It's their option to choose their, their choice. I know, like you said, that some Division One schools or bigger schools, they say, hey, you can't major in that because it's got labs during practice and those kind of things. We're going to work around a player schedule as far as the practices goes. We're never going to ask them to miss a class for practice. So um, it's definitely a big benefit to them, and um, they can kind of choose what they want to. And they can also, with so many majors, if they choose to switch majors because maybe they uh, decide to do something different, they can still do that and not have to switch schools as well. Yeah, I love that. I love the love the focus on being able to have that holistic, you know, college athlete experience. That's great. Um, yeah. You know, now that we have a pretty good sense of what it's like to be a, a pioneer player, from day to day, um, let's talk a little bit about recruiting, and um, you know, kind of take us through the way you and your coaching staff go about recruiting players to a school like uh, like LNC. That's that's academic, and uh, and also a good baseball program. Yeah, obviously the academic requirements of a school like Lewis and Clark. Uh, I, would, I don't want to say they eliminate a lot of kids, but it definitely makes it difficult for. Uh, some kids with lower GPAs and test scores to have an opportunity to come here. And so it's one thing I really recommend to kids when I talk to them, either personally or camps or showcases, is to make sure that they're focused on their studies. You know, if you have the option to spend some money on a hitting lesson or go to a tutor, I would recommend going to a tutor. Yeah. Uh, if you think about some of the kids right now who are really focused on that Division One scholarship, that's great, but most of those guys aren't getting a very big scholarship. Um, and there's millions of dollars in athletic money, but there's billions of dollars in academic money. So... You know, really having the opportunity to do that um, is beneficial. And so, like, for us, we can go into, you know, a tournament or a showcase, and I know the GPAs, I can kind of rule out, you know, 65 75% of the kids automatically. Um, right. You know, which some people may look at as a bad thing, and it, it could be a bad thing because it gives us fewer options. Um, but it also allows me to kind of focus in on those couple guys that really have the opportunity to do that. So um, that's definitely something we look at going into it. Yeah, that's a great point about the scholarship money. You know, a lot of people think, 
they hear that Division three doesn't offer scholarships, and they think that that means that there's no money available. And, and as you point out, that's just not simply true. Um, so you, you started a little bit talking about how you find guys and how guys end up in your program. But, uh, you know, what are... Uh, what are the main ways? Is it is it going to showcases? Is it having kids reach out to you? Do they do their coaches call you? Do you see them at events or find them online? What are what are some of the main ways that you're finding guys that do end up in your program? I would say all of the above. Um, we do go to a couple of showcases. We obviously try to focus on the ones that are maybe a little more academic in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so my assistant coaches will go to those along with myself and that definitely makes it very easy to see those kids. We really like to go to the ones where we can actually be a part of the camp and work with those kids and get to know them a little bit. Uh, it definitely helps in the process down the road as far as you know us getting to know them and then getting to know us uh, and creating relationships. Uh, we do have uh, other players who are recommended by coaches or kids who reach out to us, which we always like that as well because it shows interest in our school. Um, and another thing we try to use, uh, since we don't have a gigantic recruiting budget, is we we get a lot of kids off uh, either video or recruiting services, trying to identify kids that way and start relationships going uh, going forward that way. Okay, so a lot of different ways. So um, would you recommend that a kid who's interested in a program like yours just tries as many ways as they can to reach out, or is there is there one of those methods that you prefer? I wouldn't say there's any one particular way that works better than the others. Um, I definitely think... Reaching out and individualizing, you know, an email, probably the easiest way to, to contact coaches. I think that's great because, again, it shows interest. It shows that maybe you know a little bit about the school and you put some time into it. Um, you know, we get a lot of emails every day. Even at Division three school, you know, I get 10 to 20 emails from kids a day, and a lot of them are very formal or informal in nature, excuse me. And uh, You don't really know if that kid's interested or is he just broadcasting this to 20 different schools. And so, right. um, you know, the, sh- the showcase is obviously, the, you know, the, the drawback is the expense. Um, and that can get very difficult. We see kids at a number of different showcases that are spending a ton of money for this. And so uh, you really kind of have to uh, kind of measure out what works for your family, what you can do. And, um, you know, another way you can definitely go get involved in a school is go to their prospect camps and those kind of things too. So um, I wouldn't say there's one thing in particular, but I think there's definitely that individualization about contacting a school that you're interested in is, is definitely the biggest benefit. Okay. So before we move on to talking a little bit more about kind of the physical tools and that, that type of evaluation, do you have any last pieces of advice for a kid who's interested in academic programs like yours other than just, hey, get good grades and good test scores? Is there anything else that you would recommend that they do to improve their chances of getting admitted? Um, yeah, I would say try as best as you can to have a real well-rounded background. Um, you know, obviously at Lewis and Clark, we look at, you know, grades and SAT and ACT and those kind of things, but we also want to make sure that those students are going to have other things in their lives that are important, like service background, you know, or volunteering, or that they're going to be involved. You know, we just want kids who are, you know, just kind of going through the motions. You know, it's, it's a difficult, difficult school at Lewis and Clark and then a lot of other academic schools at our level, and so we want to make sure kids are really showing that they're going to go above and beyond and they're going to put the effort in to make sure they succeed here, because we would never want somebody to come here and and pay the money it costs to come to a school like Lewis and Clark and not succeed. Yeah, great. Um, how about this? If kind of maybe getting into the more physical stuff, or maybe not, if you could build your ideal recruit like you would in a video game, where where are you starting? What's the most important ingredient in your mind for success at the college level? Well, I can think of, you know, uh, 
outside the academic stuff, I can think of five things, kind of our five pillars of our program that I really look for in players. And you know, the first one is work ethic. Um, you know, obviously, if you're going to come and to our program with our limitations in the fall as far as our contact time with our players, you have to be self-motivated to put a lot of work in on your own. Um, and we're going to do everything we can as far as player development plans and equipment and facilities and those kind of things. But if you're not willing to put in the work, then you're not going to make it. Um, and if you're not willing to work the guy next to you, then you're not going to you know, be successful. So we definitely look for that. Uh, we look for guys who are team guys. Um, you know, the second philosophy for us is we over me. And we want guys to have individual goals, but we want them to make sure that those individual goals are focused on helping our team succeed. Uh, you know, the third thing for us is pride. We want guys who take a lot of pride in what they do. Uh, like I said, at Lucy Clark, uh, our facility is not a Division One facility, um, but we try to take pride in everything we do, and that's something that we want to make sure the guys are going to do off the field as well. Take pride in their academics. Take pride in who they are as a person, um, and those are important to us. Uh, our fourth thing for us is relentless energy and focus. Uh, we want guys who can come in and be really locked in when they need to be, but also understand how to relax their minds when they don't. Um, I think that's a really important skill that you have when you play 27 innings in a weekend. It can get really kind of... Uh, difficult to, to focus I mean, when you get to those Sunday games, and so we want guys who can handle that. And then the last thing is somebody who can control the controllables and handle the mental side of things. Um, I would say that's probably the, the one thing we've worked on the most uh, in our time here at Lewis and Clark is having guys understand how to deal with failure, understand that it's going to happen. Um, and then we talk about detours a lot and how you can get stuck in traffic or you can find a detour around it. Yeah. Uh, and those are the things that I probably look for in a player more than anything else. I love that, and I'm sure it's it's pretty helpful to have the background that you have in in professional baseball and then also college college baseball to kind of help teach those guys for maybe things that you encountered during your playing career, whether they went well or whether they went poorly. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those things are based off the things that got me to where I am. Um, you know, we, we have a little bit different definitions of success in our program. We look at success as not necessarily wins and losses, but at the end of the day, being able to look in the mirror and say that, you know, based on the events that happened to you that day, you got the most out of yourself and your teammates. And I think if guys can say that and answer that question with a yes every day, then they're going to be successful later on in life when they start to understand that the you know the material things aren't as important as they thought they were. And so that's what we're really trying to get our guys to do. And you know, definitely some of the lessons I've learned, uh, I, I can use to help uh, kind of have them understand those concepts. I love that, and I love I love how you can just easily lay out those five pillars, right? Those those five criteria that are really important to your program and really kind of define what that culture looks like. And for, for yeah. recruits who are listening at home, you know, you want to find coaches like that. You have a, a clear vision of how they're going to help you develop, how they're going to help you become a, a better baseball player. But not only that, you know, these are, these are life skills that are going to translate well beyond the field, as you've already mentioned a couple of times. So that's, uh, that's great stuff. Um, how are you evaluating this? So you have your criteria, obviously, that's important to you. When you start to engage with a recruit or you see a player who you like on the field, how are you evaluating that they fit this criteria? I think you can learn a lot uh, just with a conversation with them. You kind of get to know their personalities and, and see if they're going to fit in, number one, with the guys you already have and fit your chemistry. So that's something I really pay attention to. And you know, when I go watch guys play, you know, obviously you can see the skill set. You know, if the guy throws hard, you can see that. You can measure a lot of those things. Right. Everybody can see that. But I think the things for me when I go watch guys are the little separator things, you know. Do they run hard when they hit a ball, you know, 100 feet in the air? You know, or are they going to throw their bat and not make it to first base, you know? Are they going to be able to handle failure? You know, so those little separators, and I talk to guys a lot about that when we go watch them and play at things is, you know, everybody looks the same uh, when you get, get out for the, for the most part besides the elite guys and, 
So if you really want to stand out, you have to find those little things that are going to separate. And it can't be something you do you know, part of the time. You know, Part of our pride philosophy is something you do every day. Um, right. you know, so it has to be something that's just ingrained in your nature to really want to you know, be one of those guys who plays hard all the time. You know, and those are the things that are going to help you be successful down the road if you're willing to put that effort into it. And it's going to make our program more successful. So those are the things that we really try to lock in on. Yeah, that's that's so important. And, and a lot of guys don't realize that, you know, there's a, a hundred guys with the same skill set as you. And so what's going to be the, the separator? What's going to be the difference maker? A lot of times it's that it's those small details that really add up to make a big difference in the long run. Um, is there anything that's a a major deal breaker for you in the recruiting process? Like if you see a player or even a parent do something, is there, is there something where you hit the brakes and and just stop recruiting that kid altogether? Uh, I would say at the division three level, it's a little bit harder to just cross guys off our list. Like some of the big guys do, uh, Mm -hmm. because of those things, but we definitely look for, you know, the attitude of a player, you know, um, Obviously, you know, the parents play a big role in that, too. We've had kids come and sit in our office on visits, and, you know, they bag on the coaches, they bag on other players in that program, and that doesn't bode well for them. You know, those are guys we're probably not going to want to recruit because if you're going to bag on your high school guys, it's probably going to continue when you get here. And so, um, you know, obviously we're, we're here to kind of change mentalities a little bit, and I think when you come from high school to college, you kind of have that little bit more of a, you know, an eye-opening experience. We realize you maybe need to change some things and kind of develop who you are as a player and a person, but... Um, you know, if you're not willing to do that, those are things that we're not going to want to have in our program. And, um, you know, it's important that even if you're a great player, you know, sometimes uh, at the high school level, you have to kind of deal with that because that's what you get. But when you're recruiting guys, you know, even if you're the best guy, if you're not going to be part of that, you know, those five pillars that our program is about, then those are things that we're definitely going to rule guys out on. Yeah. How you mentioned it just briefly there, but what type of involvement do you want to have parents have in the recruiting process? What do you think is is the ideal role for the parent? Yeah, I think the parents are really important, to be honest with you. Um, they're kind of the voice of reason, like I like to say. Um, I think, you know, their life experience is definitely going to play a big part in helping, you know, a student athlete choose what school they want to go to. But um, I think it's also important for the parents to understand that, uh, you know, they may be footing the bill, but it's their their child's experience. You know, I hear a lot of kids will sit down with their parents and the parents talk about we a lot. And I was like, like, I don't think you're going to come to school with him. So, right. um, you know, I want to make sure that they understand that it's his experience. Um, and, you know, when you come on a visit, I want to talk to the player. You know, I want to have conversations with the parents, and I want those relationships definitely. But I want to hear that the player is interested in these things. And sometimes uh, parents are a little bit overzealous, and they want to dominate the conversation. And, you know, that's just kind of the way that things go when your kids are a little bit younger and you know, being a parent myself. But, you know, I definitely want them to, to understand that they need to be part of it, and they need to kind of guide them through and make decisions and, uh, but understand that it's not their experience, and the ultimate decision needs to come down to the, the student athlete. Yeah, are there any any places where you feel like the parents really should step in? You know, you talked about the the visits and really getting to know the kids, and and the fact that they're going to be the ones that are interacting with you on a daily basis, and their parents aren't going to be there. But for you, are there any uh, you know critical junctures of the recruiting process where you want the parents to be more heavily involved? I definitely think on the visit that's important um, you know because usually the parents are the ones getting the kids here to visit whether they, they come with them or not but uh, I think lots of times you know I talk about the parents not being too involved on the visit but I think lots of times they come up with questions that maybe the student athlete wouldn't think of so I think that's important you know obviously you don't you don't want to have like a million questions coming from them but 
Uh, I think sometimes, especially kids, are a little bit, you know, hesitant to maybe ask some of those questions, and so it's a little bit easier for an adult to do that. Uh, so I'd say stepping in there is good. And, you know, I, and I've had conversations on the phone that where, you know, I end up talking to the parents in the conversation, so they have questions, and that's totally fine, too. Uh, like I said, I want to present the, you know, the full picture of what it's like to be, you know, part of our program and, and under my tutelage, and so that's fine with me. Um, but I think that, you know, they need to make sure that, you know, unless, the you know, there's questions not being maybe asked and they just kind of stay in the background a little bit more I would say yeah so they can kind of help behind the scenes and make sure that the the kid is prepared to ask the questions to get the information that they need yeah that's great um how about for kids you know for for recruits are there any major issues you see or, or areas where they go wrong where the recruiting process can kind of go sideways is there any uh um bigger issues that you see uh you know on a regular basis I would say my biggest uh, concern when I'm dealing with a recruit is just a lack of communication sometimes. Um, you know, obviously, I know they don't want to talk to coaches nonstop all day long. I understand that. Uh, it's just kind of not the way that things work these days. And so uh, that makes a lot of sense. But I think, you know, not being honest and communicating with what they're really thinking. And I'm not asking them to give me every deep, dark secret. But, you know, if they're not considering our school, they need to let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and at the same time, if we're not considering them as a legitimate option, I want to be honest with them. I know not all programs are that way. Um, everybody kind of wants to hold on and have kind of backup options. Um, but they need to realize, you know, as, as a coach who's trying to fill out a recruiting class and, and run a program, we need to make sure that we get the best guys in as we can. If we wait too long for certain guys because they're not communicating with us, then we may miss out on other guys. So they, you know, they, if they don't communicate with us, then maybe that could cause problems down the road. Definitely. So that honesty is a two-way street, coach to coach to sure, recruit definitely. and recruit to coach. Love that. Yeah, and I would say the, the other thing I would say is, you know, when they're contacting coaches, you know, obviously there's a lot of recruiting services that the people are using, and uh, they have like a kind of a formal email they'll send out, and I get the exact same email from a number of different kids, and so it maybe tells me that they're not as interested in our program per se as, you know, just kind of getting their name out there. So that's why I talked about earlier that individualization is really important for them. You know, um, having some facts about our school in an email would be great. Um, you know, sometimes they'll, you know, put information in there that has nothing to do with our school. They'll say, hey, you know, I, I realize you have this great academic program. We don't have that academic program. So this probably shows me that they haven't really put in the time to you know, kind of figure out what we're about. Yeah, that's really great insight. Um, let's uh, let's shift away from recruiting stuff a little bit. And I want to break down some skill development in your program. How uh, how are you guys working in the strength and conditioning you know, do you guys, I think you mentioned you have a, a full-time strength and conditioning guy who's able to, you know, provide different time slots and kind of tailor things around uh, the, the different schedules that your players have. Can you kind of uh, dive into that a little bit more and, and break down how strength and conditioning integrates with your development? Yeah, it's super important in our program. Uh, all of our coaches that, um, that work with us, have seen the benefits of, you know, time in the, in the weight room themselves. I know I was one of those guys where I came out of high school through an 81 to 84, and I put a ton of time in the weight room, and the time I left, I was 87 to 92. So we know what we can do for guys. And so we're very fortunate to have Angela, uh, who's our strength coach. She is uh, an amazing uh, strength coach for us. We're very fortunate. Like I said, at this level, it doesn't happen very often. So um, she does a great job of really individualizing workouts with guys and incorporating the things that are a little bit more baseball-specific for us and also – being very flexible with the times um, that she's available to our guys. And so that's one thing that really helped out this year, especially in the fall when we have workouts that are non-mandatory because we can't make them mandatory uh, due to our limitations on time. Um, but she's been really open to the, 
kind of having those times for those guys and so our guys get in and work out and she does a great job of changing things up so it's not always the same stuff and um, you know, I think if, if you're going to go look at a program, you want to make sure that some kind of strength program is in place, whether it's through the coach or through a strength coach, and that it's more specific to baseball than just like maybe a football program, those kind of things. And so right. um, we're very fortunate to have Coach Ange, and uh, we put a lot of emphasis on it. And obviously, like I said, we can't make it mandatory all the time, but uh, we definitely make sure our guys understand that it's very important, and it's definitely been something that our guys have set their game up at. Great. And do you have any – you know, do you split it up in terms of pitchers and, and position players, or is everyone doing doing pretty much the same thing? Uh, most of our guys, um, as far as the, the strength side with Coach Hans, are, are on a pretty similar workout routine. Um, our, our, our pitching coach, Brandon Rubb, does a good job of incorporating other things for pitchers that they do, whether it's crossover symmetry bands or Jager bands or those kind of things, or some more med ball stuff. He's big on the core kind of things, and, and so he adds some stuff into there that the guys do on their own. Um, but it's definitely, you know, it's individualized for baseball, but it's, uh, there are some individualization, excuse me, that's hard word to say, yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for specific positions as well, yeah. Awesome. Let's uh, let's stick with the pitchers a little bit. So uh, what is your development plan for pitchers? What are they doing throughout the year to get ready for spring? Are there any pillars or, uh, you know, emphasis that you guys are w- really focusing on? How does that uh, How does that shake out throughout the year? Yeah, the, the workout routine is definitely the, the main thing we focus on, you know, kind of that preparation side of things, make sure guys, you know, are building their, their energy systems up and, and creating more, you know, like they say, more mass equals more gas. And so we want to make sure that our guys are getting as strong and as powerful as, as they can, but at the same time, make sure they, you know, maintain their flexibility and, and those kind of things that allow them to be dynamic athletes on the mound. And um, Coach Rubb does a great job of really developing a throwing program for those guys to do on their own. Uh, that includes, you know, some long toss and those kind of things. And, the biggest time is, you know, when they go home for winter break, which is also a scary time for coaches because you're not around to kind of see what guys are doing. So um, Coach Rep that really kind of designs a program for them to continue their throwing program but also start to work in some time on the mound and, and, and really help those guys. And then during the season, he does a great job of really incorporating a number of different things to, to help them stabilize their posture and do a lot of different things as far as that goes. And then also the physical side of things as well with more core work and those kind of things as well. We're not a go-run pulls program. Uh, that a lot of uh, the old school programs were like. Uh, right. He's very individualized in his, his practice plans. Everybody has an individual routine that they do every day. Um, it's posted for them to see, and so um, it allows them to be a lot more efficient with their time and also to not have to have coach rep babysit them the whole time. So um, it's a very good program. I've been really uh, fortunate to have him come and be part of our program. Yeah, and, uh, you know, picking up some connections between the five pillars that you talked about earlier and the need for you know, guys who are motivated and and responsible, you know, because as you mentioned, that time right before your season starts is probably the most critical time of the year for pitchers to be, to be ready. And and a lot of that time is spent on their own. Um, Is there a way that you, you kind of make sure that your guys are staying on top of things or is that out of your control? I mean, obviously, you know, all we can really do is just check in with them as much as we can. You know, we try to make sure before they leave that they have, some kind of system in place where they can get bullpens in, um, you know, get their throwing in, have somebody to do that with. Um, that's not always easy because, you know, some guys don't have that access. Like our our number one pitcher uh, lives in Whitefish, Montana, you know, where there's not much going on out there besides a lot of snow. And so, right. you know, he really has to be resourceful with his time. And, you know, he finds a, a place in the gym to go in and throw to and does the best he can. But it's not always going to be perfect. But uh, we know the guys, you know, it's, it's a really important time. Last year we had two freshmen that – 
maybe didn't throw as much as they need to when they were on their own, and uh, they ended up breaking down during the season, which really cost them and cost our team. So um, it's something we really try to check in with our guys on a regular basis to make sure they're getting their work in. But for the most part, it's you know it's kind of an honor system where you know, we're not allowed to make those things mandatory and like have them report to us. So. Um, it's just more just make sure we stay on them and reminding them on, on a daily basis to get their work in. Do you see a difference between the older guys in your program when they come back from break and the younger guys? You know, just a difference between what the, the workload that they've done when they're home and understanding how important it is to set themselves up for success for the season? I, do, I definitely think uh, there's a little bit more sense of urgency with those guys. Um, the upperclassmen, I think they've kind of been around the block a little bit so they know what to expect they know how to handle things I think I think when the young guys go home they don't really just know you know how to get everything done because they never had to do it on their own before they've always had like a high school coach to tell them what to do or those kind of things and uh, so there's definitely a different element there but you know really it comes down to you know the the characteristics of the individual person you know and how much they're going to work we have some highly motivated young guys too um, and I know they're getting their work in because they tell me about it all the time and so um, you know, there's definitely, like I said, you know, a little bit more seasoning with those older guys, but, uh, you know, it really kind of comes down to the individual. Gotcha. How about your hitters? What, um, kind of the same question, same thing we went through with the pitchers. What are those guys focusing on and how are they being trained? Yeah, so I was very fortunate to have, uh, one of my former players that, uh, I coached down in Lama and, and Coach Delbrado come up here and, and, and help us out as our hitting guy. And so he does a great job of really kind of working through, number one, the mental side of things. Um, we understand that when guys come to our program, we're not going to be able to change a ton mechanically because they've been doing it for so long, but we're going to try to make small adjustments that can help them be more efficient. Um, and we're a program that really focuses on having quality bats. We're not a, like a program that dictates everything by batting average, and I think that's pretty common now. But, uh, you know, our goals are for our guys to get their best swing off and hit the ball as hard as they can. We're not a program that says, you know, you have to hit home runs and all the other kind of things. That would be great if they can do that, but... Um, you know, we really try to work on those kind of things swing-wise. And then the other side of things that we probably focus on even a little bit more is kind of have a general approach and having an idea of what pitch they want to swing at right. um, and then making good decisions when they see those pitches. So, you know, like I said, we, we focus on trying to get your best swing off and teaching guys what that looks like and how to do that. But we also want to make sure that they understand when they need to do that. Um, you know, some days it may be, you know, a situation where they need to execute for our team. And so we fo- focus on that situational hitting. But, you know, other times it may be a situation where they need to get the certain pitch to – to you know, drive a run in, or they need to be patient to you know make sure they get a good pitch to hit. If they don't, they need to take a walk and get on base. And then, you know, we really focus on the base running side of things and trying to advance bases there too. So, you know, we want them to be really complete guys. Not everybody's going to be perfect with that, but we try to take advantage of the skills they have um, and utilize them that way and try to tighten those things up as they go forward. Yeah. So if we were to walk into, uh, you know, one of your practices right in the middle of your your hitting. What type of things will we see looking around the yard? We try to be super functional um, when we're doing our, our BP stuff. And so, um, you know, you're going to see in the cage, you're going to see, you know, groups of four or five hitting. Uh, we have different stations around the cage. Uh, so we have our guys hitting in the cage, and we try to have them uh, make sure they're focusing on the next swing only. Uh, we really try to make sure that the last swing doesn't influence the next one as far as a, a negative mindset if it wasn't the swing they wanted and, so if our guys have a couple of negative swings in a row, we make them step out, refocus, take a breath, and, and get back in the box. And then once they get done with their round, they're going to step out around the cage and they're going to go through a mental evaluation about how they felt through that round. And we kind of use a stoplight system there. And then, you know, the, the better they are, the fewer breaths they're going to take to get them kind of refocused. And then they're going to try to push that round out of their mind. And 
work on some tracking back behind the plate, and then their last station before they get in is kind of really focusing on making sure they're on time uh, when they get into the, the cage then. And then you're also going to see guys working on base running. We always have base running rounds going. It's important for us. We try to, try to send a coach out with those guys so they make sure that they're focused, number one, but also making sure that they're really internalizing the things we want them to focus on. Um, and you're going to see some other defensive focus as well. We always try to make sure that our guys have at least one round of defensive focus where they're focused on taking balls live off the bat. Um, obviously, they're infielders. We're going to try to get them you know, some ground balls in addition to that as well. And so we try to be as functional as possible, make sure that nobody's standing around and wasting their time. Love that. And you mentioned a couple times now that it seems like you guys are working on pitch selection and that type of thing. When a guy steps in the cage or, or on the field for his round, um, do you want him only swinging at the pitches that he can hit hard? Or how, what's your philosophy in terms of, you know, taking pitches during BP? Yeah, so we really try to focus on concentrating on a half of the plate. So we have three halves that we look at. We'll look at the middle of the plate to the outside corner. We'll look at the middle of the plate to the inside corner. Or we'll, we'll look at what we call the middle 10, which is like your two oh three one rounds where you're looking for ball, you know, middle part of the plate that you can drive and do some damage with. Um, and we really try to make sure that our guys don't swing at the pitches that are not in those halves. You know, we don't think it's possible, even at our level, you know, guys are 80 to 90 miles an hour that you can cover all 17 inches of the plate. So we think it's more beneficial to kind of focus on, you know, kind of a 10-inch spectrum where they can really kind of lock in and, and make sure they get those pitches to hit. Obviously, when you get to two strikes, that changes a little bit. Um, but we're still trying to make sure we're, we're as selective as possible, and we make sure that, you know, we beat ourselves instead of the pitcher, you know, taking us out of it. And so um, those are the kind of things we focus on. Uh, we also mix in some breaking ball stuff, you know, to make sure that they, they see that as well and they can kind of make some swing decisions that way. But you know, the better they are at, at, at seeing pitches and making sure they're staying disciplined at what they're swinging at, um, we think they're more the successful they're going to be at the plate. And how does that translate to your two-strike philosophy? Are you are you guys uh, giving them something that you want them to do? Are you expanding that 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 zone, so to speak? What's uh, what do you want the guys to do with two strikes? Yeah, I think that's something we've kind of tried to change this year a little bit, and we're going to continue to work on as. You know, we're not we're not a program that you know says hey just punch and Judy the ball and play. We definitely like to have the ball and play because at our level, I think that's a little more successful than you know trying to do too much with two strikes. But we try to focus on still a smaller zone. You know where we may look you know a little bit more towards the outer half of the plate where most guys tend to go with two strikes. You know most of the times when we strike out, we chase pitches off the plate or chase pitches down the dirt uh, that are more pitchers' pitches. And so we want them to still kind of stay in a smaller focus. If we try to get too big in our focus. I think our guys have too big a tendency to chase pitches, and that's something we're trying to kind of bring them back a little bit. And if the guy makes a perfect pitch and beats us, then we'll accept that. Uh, but as long as we're staying disciplined in our plan, then uh, we think we're going to have some success doing it. Yeah, so for you as a as a pitcher, um, have you found that it's helpful to have that background and just relaying information to your guys about how pitchers are trying to go about and, and get, get your guys out? Yeah, definitely having the mindset that you know, I had as a pitcher it helps me uh, when I talk with the, the hitters as well. Kind of knowing what I was trying to do to guys uh, allows me to kind of talk to them and, and have those plans. And, um, you know, also, you know, with, with Coach Rupp, he talks to our guys a lot about that as well, you know, kind of what he would do um, if he's throwing against our hitters. And so they, when they kind of understand concepts of what pitchers do, like maybe, you know, elevating a fastball and coming back with a breaking ball down the dirt, you know, kind of those tendencies that pitchers have, it makes it a little bit easier for our guys to understand uh, and have a better idea of what they're going to get when they get up to the plate. Yeah. And before we before we move on, is there any really outside-the-box the ideas that you guys are doing 
uh, in addition to the stuff that you've already talked about? Or is, is there any uh, mad scientist type stuff going on <laughs> in your program? Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say that we're um, doing anything crazy. Um, we actually try to probably simplify it a little bit more than anybody else. Um, I think it's just, you know, you want to be good at the, the things that you think are important. And so, um, you know, I wouldn't say we're definitely different than a bunch of organizations. Maybe we just do the process a little bit different and the things that we focus on and that we think are important are a little bit different. But, um, you know, we're not trying to do some crazy new thing that's going to revolutionize the game by any means. Right, right. Um well, I'd definitely be remiss if I didn't ask you about your work with catchers. So you started the Mask Up Monday hashtag on Twitter. Um, you've, uh, you're a big contributor to a lot, of, uh, a lot of the social media coaching stuff that goes on and a lot of great information that, that is shared online. Um, how does that work in your program? So what are some of the things that you're doing with your, with your catchers and how are you training those guys? Yeah, obviously being a pitcher... Uh, I didn't have a catching background. I think I caught a little bit when I was nine. Uh, but when I went to Willamette, uh, we didn't have a guy working with our catchers. Um, and I spent all fall watching them chase balls to the backstop, and it was pretty ugly. And so uh, I just made the decision that, hey, I was going to learn as much as I could uh, to help those guys out. Um, I was very fortunate that I have a really good friend named Randy Rushman, whose son, uh, Adley, is you know probably the number one prospect in the draft this year at Oregon State. And, yeah. Uh, you know, Randy's one of the best catching guys I've been around, so I really try to, you know, get as much information in, from him as I could. And I've tried to pay attention over the years, obviously, to kind of, you know, to learn those kind of things. But, you know, I just started to study a little bit and uh, kind of create a real basic system for our guys to follow. You know, we're not out there doing any crazy drills or anything, but, you know, definitely having, a, you know, the, the little bit more intricate details to the things that they need to do have, have definitely beneficial. And we were fortunate to have some success with our catchers at Willamette when I was there. And we had a guy who was all-conference my first year there, and then, um, the other catcher that I worked with ended up being an all-region guy last year. And then when we came here to Lewis and Clark, you know, the year before I got here, we gave up 82 stolen bases. And last year with the same catchers, we cut it down to 48. So, you know, I think just kind of having, you know, catching is, I think, is a real undercoached position, probably the most undercoached one. And so just having some basic drills that guys can go through and, and some concepts they can follow that really helps them kind of tighten things up and definitely improve themselves as, as players. And you know, obviously I try to share that information uh, online as much as I can. Yeah. Because like I said, not a lot of people know about catching. And, you know, a lot of that information that I share is stuff that I, you know, research myself. And so um, if it's helpful to our guys, I want to make sure I try to share that to everybody else. And, you know, and hopefully we can help them out that way as well. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, right? You ask a lot of coaches what, what the most important position on the field is other than the pitchers. And a lot of them would probably say you're catchers, right? And yet that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's the, as you mentioned, probably the most undercoached position. So, um, are you giving these guys, uh, do they have everyday drills, daily routine? Um, what are some of the things that we would see if we walked in and saw your guys practicing behind the plate? Yeah, it would really depend on the day. Um, lots of our time uh, defensively focused for our guys is, is spend catching bullpens for our guys. And I think that's the best practice that they can get because they receive you know anywhere from between 130 to 150 pitches a game where they're going to block or throw or make a play maybe three or four times a game. So it's definitely important to them. Um, but you'll see our guys in their bullpens, they're not just catching. It's not something that they, you know, frown upon, which I think a lot, in the high school level, a lot of guys are like, oh, i got to catch a bullpen. Like, that's a perfect opportunity for you to get better. Right. Um, so we have our guys work on their receiving a lot during that. Um, we expect our guys to work on their blocking when they have opportunities to do that. So you're going to see guys trying to be as game-like as possible in our bullpens, and then we're doing drills. We don't necessarily have a daily drill that we go through. We try to make sure that we, we cover the four main things that we, we focus on, so we're receiving, blocking, throwing, 
and some kind of defensive play. We try to cover one of those things every day, some kind of skill that way. Uh, I think it keeps them fresh and it kind of keeps them, you know, kind of guessing what's coming. It doesn't, uh, you know, create that boredom that can set in sometimes when you're doing the same drills all the time. Uh, but those are the kind of things that we try to focus on. Just try to, you know, make sure we cover as much as we can and, and change it up as much as we can to make sure that they have a little bit of practice with everything. Yeah. So I know a popular question that that I've heard asked on other podcasts and um, you know online is how how would you rank the importance of receiving, blocking, throwing, et cetera? Do you have one where you devote more time to, or or what do you feel is is the most important thing for those guys to work on? Yeah, definitely the receiving. I would say is like I said, you know, when you're you're doing it so many more times than you would anything else in the game, that's the most important thing. And we really try to work. You know, we we don't do a bunch of crazy drills or a bunch of like you know how to hey, let's just catch the ball drills. We work on you know the marginal pitches for us. We call them stride balls. You know, those pitches that could go either way as far as balls or strikes. And so. We spend most of our time working on those things, and I think the skills that we've kind of developed through those processes have helped us get a lot of those pitches. Um, and I think that definitely helps our pitchers, you know, putting them in, in better counts and puts a little more pressure on the on the, the hitters, which is, you know, obviously something we're trying to do. And, you know, I'd say after that, um, you know, I think the, the blocking side of things is probably the most important. Uh, you're going to see, you know, that probably happen a little bit more than anything else, and that's a, a little bit easier way to advance bases. But, you know, the throwing thing will probably come in third for me. Um, and I think the throwing game, you know, I talked about the numbers that we've decreased as far as the stolen bases we've given up. I think that also comes down to your pitchers as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to be efficient in getting the ball to you um, in, a, in a good amount of time, and that's something we definitely try to work on. But, uh, you know, I've, I've seen guys who aren't great throwers. You can kind of tighten up a little bit, and they can do a better job eliminating the game. But, you know, like I said, receiving is the number one thing for us because you're going to do it so many times, and it's going to uh, influence the game more than anything else for us. Yeah, and and are these things that you guys are tracking to measure progress? I mean, obviously you talked about the the stolen bases, but you know, are you tracking the percentage of stride balls that you get? Are you um, you keeping track of pitching uh, delivery times to home plate? Yeah, we're definitely keeping track of the times to the plate. Uh, we haven't really kept track of uh, all the the pitches that we get. It's something we're going to try to work on this year a little bit more. So I have a defensive card that I use every day because I coach all the defense. Um, and so I track, uh, you know, all of our kind of philosophies for our infielders, outfielders, and catchers. So behind the plate, we try to focus on, you know, obviously how many blocking opportunities we had and whether we consider it to be a successful block, which for us would be in a, in a kind of a 45-degree radius in front of the catcher within two steps. Um, so if they can do that, we're going to put down a little card for them. And then, um, you know, obviously they have throwing opportunities. We can focus on those. But we also have some other things that are intangibles for us that are important. So any kind of mental errors that they make. You know, we expect guys, when the left-handed hitter comes up, we expect them to stand out in front of the plate and tell the pitcher, hey, make sure you get over here. Or if it's 3-2, you know, two outs, um, you know, when guys are running and there's a four somewhere, we make sure that, you know, everybody knows they got to go across the first base. And so right. those are the things that I keep track of, and I, and, I, and I post that for those guys after every game, and they kind of have an idea where they're at. Because, um, again, if, you're, if you want something to be important, you need to make sure you track it and show them that it's important. And so that's what we try to do. And I think definitely the next step for us is trying to figure out how to, practice strike balls and the ones that are kind of the closer pitches and how many of those we're getting yeah how about the the pitcher catcher relationship so it seems like this would be right up your alley right you were a pitcher now you're coaching coaching catchers what type of wisdom are you trying to pass on to these guys what are some nuggets that maybe a you know high school kid who's listening to this might really be able to grasp onto and understand you know the importance of that the role of the catcher and and you know, being the general of the defense, but also just how that pitcher pitcher catcher relationship can can impact success. Yeah, you really have to be 
kind of a chameleon back there where you have to be able to adjust your personalities based on who's pitching. You know, if a guy can't handle you getting on them, then you can't do that to them, you know, because then they're going to fall apart and that's going to detract from them making quality pitches. And if they're a guy who can take a little bit more of that, you know, firm handling, then, you know, do that. Some guys need a pass, some guys need a kick in the butt. So uh, really understanding that kind of concept and being able to change your personality, adjust your personality based on what they want. And also maybe adjusting some of the other things, like some guys like certain guys to set up a little bit more. Like for me, I never looked at the glove when I pitched. You know, I, I just kind of focused on the middle of the body. So I wanted a guy to make sure that he set up a little bit earlier so I could see his frame. I didn't care if they hit or knew a little bit more. So um, just kind of understanding those little bit things and then understanding when you kind of need to, like said, push guys or pack guys and also understanding it's important for us to understand when guys maybe don't have it and we need to get them out of the game. I want my catcher to be honest with us. And so kind of understanding kind of when those things are happening for that pitcher that they can see uh, are definitely beneficial as well. And how about pitch calling? Are you are you calling the pitches from the dugout? Is your catcher responsible for doing that? How does that work in terms of game planning for, for pitching against opponents? Yeah, in the fall we let our guys call their own pitches. Um, so they kind of get an idea of, of what works and what doesn't work. And then uh, during the season, Coach Rupp calls pitches for us. You know, and a lot of people are kind of down on that process right now. But I think for us, knowing the, the time commitment that our guys have to things off the field and how little time they have to commit to really locking in on scouting reports and those kind of things, um, where we have all day to do those things, it just makes more sense for our guys to understand you know, that, that our pitching guy probably has a little better idea about those pitchers, uh, or sorry, those hitters coming into it. And, uh, we're lucky with Coach Ruff, he does a great job of really breaking down hitters and understanding kind of the changes in postures and those kind of things, so that helps. But we also make sure that our catchers are involved in that. And, um, there's obviously a lot of conversation going on between innings about what's working and what's not working, and we can talk about kind of the adjustments we need to make. That's definitely their influence. And then we also let our pitchers shake everything off that they don't want it because we want to make sure that, you know, like Coach Weinstein always talks about, you know, we want to make sure that they're 100% committed to the wrong pitch versus, you know, 65% committed to the right pitch because, you know, that, that full commitment is going to make that pitch a lot better for us. Definitely. Definitely. Is there anything you want to touch on with your – other position players, stuff you guys are doing in the infield or the outfield to make sure that guys are ready for the, the demands of the game? You know, I think um, every time when, when somebody comes to the college level, there's going to be an advancement in what's expected of them. And, and you know, the skill drills are going to be a little bit more tighter. So you know, I would say, you know, my advice definitely for the younger guys at the high school level is to make sure they watch as much college baseball as they can and see what those guys are doing and watch as much pro baseball as they can to kind of pick up on those skills because that's really where that they're going to have to change their game going forward where maybe they relied on athleticism before and now they have to kind of really work on their skill development going forward. So, um, and, you know, like just like hitting, I wouldn't say that we're trying to revolutionize the world as far as our defensive stuff. We kind of have a defensive philosophy where we're trying to minimize extra bases as much as we can to prevent runs. And uh, so we definitely have a, you know, a set standard for our guys in the infield and outfield as well as what we expect them to do. You know, number one, make the routine play. You know, if you can't do that, then you're going to have a hard time playing college baseball. And so, you know, obviously we, we, we love to see the extra play where you're taking away hits and those kind of things, but you have to make the routine play number one. Yeah, I think that's a great point in, in uh, you know, helping to ease that transition, right, is just, hey, start with the basics and make sure that you can make what's expected of you, and then from there, uh, you know, you can work on that other stuff. Um, one of the things that we like to ask all our all our guests on the show is to give the best piece of recruiting advice for a high school player who might be sitting at home, let's say a ninth grader who, you know, really wants to play college baseball. What's your best advice for that guy um, in terms of having success in the recruiting process and finding a college baseball fit? Yeah, 
first off, I would say you really have to educate yourself as much as you can about the process. Um, I know I get a lot of emails from guys who are freshmen or sophomores, and we're not looking at the guys until they're seniors. And so understanding that, you know, a school like ours isn't going to necessarily focus on freshmen. You know, the division one guys are, you know, they're looking at seventh graders so they can commit those guys super early. So it's a little bit different. So understanding what each level is kind of looking for. Um, and I think you also kind of have to, one thing I don't think a lot of guys do is kind of look at a roster of a program. If you're interested in a program, make sure there's an opportunity for you to play. Yeah. Um, that's some of the best advice that I got. I had opportunities to walk on at Division One schools where I probably wouldn't have played until my, my junior year, um, you know, and I got some advice to go somewhere you could play, and I, I chose Willamette, which is great because I got to be the number three starter as a freshman. Um, the other thing I would say is make sure that when you're looking at a school that you think about, if I got hurt and couldn't play baseball anymore, would I want to go to the school? Uh, so I think that's definitely something you have to look at because it's not just the baseball side of things. Everybody wants to go play professionally and be in the major leagues and make the Hall of Fame, but the odds are very difficult for that. And I don't want to ever kind of snuffle a kid, you know, opportunity to do that or their dreams, but you have to be realistic about their need to have some kind of backup plan. Um, and so make sure you want to go to a school that's going to help you get to where you want to go if baseball doesn't work out. You know, and I'd say the other thing is make sure you understand the financial constraints of what it takes to, to go to college. And like I said, a lot of people look at the scholarship, and that's the only thing they look at. But you need to understand that there's a lot of academic money like schools like ours offer to those kids and make the price about the same. And then also make sure that's something you can afford. You know, we, we'll go through the recruiting process with a number of guys and find out in the end that, hey, you know, we just can't afford a coach, which is it's tough for everybody because you spend a lot of time and you start developing relationships. And when you can't have those things work out, that makes it very tough on everybody. So just kind of having those realistic expectations and understanding kind of how the process works um, is probably the best advice I can give the kids. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you crush it, and you've painted a really, uh, a really thorough picture of what not only D three baseball, but you know, D three baseball and academic program looks like. And I think you've highlighted a lot of the benefits, and and just getting that information out there is super, super helpful. Because as you mentioned when we started, you know, a lot of times it's just about publicity and not knowing that these options are are out there. So, really appreciate you yeah, coming I, on. I would say also, you know, I think that, you know, a liberal arts education is highly valued in the, in the business world these days. You know, somebody who's allowed to understand how to make decisions and, and, and have multiple different, you know, kind of academic history, I would guess I'd say, in your background. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I think at the same time, you know, I think uh, the name on the degree does carry a lot of weight sometimes. You know, you can make your education whatever you want at whatever school you go to, but Obviously, if you can walk away from a school that has a very good academic reputation, that is going to help you down the road. So something else that you know, kids need to consider. Yeah, touching on that a little bit, do you get a sense of what your alums are doing, the baseball alums specifically? Do you guys um, you, you track that, and and what are some of the professions that these guys are going into? Sure, we we obviously want to keep in touch with our alums. It's something that's really important for us coming in as a you know a new head coach. We've we've really tried to those relationships and we have a number of guys all over the place and we have a lot of guys pretty high up in the business world whether they're doing insurance or banking or accounting or those kind of things we also have some guys who are pretty big um, at Nike which is obviously a big company right um, locally to us and so um, there's a number of different opportunities you know that you can get into and like I said having that liberal arts education allows you to really kind of be diverse and, and get out and do a lot of different things and so um, you know you want as many options as you can because the working world is never you know ironed out for every, anybody and uh, people change jobs all the time so you want to make sure that you're adaptable as much as you can be and you know, we, we found out through our alums that that's definitely the case for uh, the, the students that have come to Lewis Clark. Yeah that's definitely a, an important thing to consider and another question that players can ask in the re- 
recruiting process is, hey, you know, if baseball doesn't work out, I may have pro aspirations, but, you know, what are your guys who don't get to that level? What what are they doing for a living? I think that's a a really great point. Um, Season's right around the corner. Don't want to keep you forever. Um, Just give you an open mic. Is there anything else you want the listeners to know about college baseball, about pioneer baseball? Um, Just a... Last last piece of his pieces of advice. Yeah, kind of just to echo some of the things that I talked about. Uh, you know, for me, I, like I said, I got to play professionally, which was my dream. But uh, if I had to choose, going back to professional baseball or college baseball, I'd go back to college baseball in a heartbeat. Uh, it's obviously the most fun I had playing baseball. It's definitely a time of your life where you're really focused on the team, maybe a little bit more than the individual, which was more rewarding for me. So. Like I said, uh, everybody needs to understand that there are a number of different options out there, probably some that they've never heard of as far as schools. And so making sure you find something that fits for you, but it also is going to be something that is going to give you opportunity. Um, and so those are things I really recommend kids look out. And that it's not an easy process. The recruiting process is hard to understand for a lot of folks, including parents. And so educating yourself the best you can and not buying into all of the rumors that go along amongst the parents sometimes. You know, some people are like, oh, you have to do this and have to do that. It needs to fit you. Um, and it needs to be you choosing what you want to do because it's your four years and you're not going to get that opportunity back. So you want to make sure you're as prepared as possible. Great advice, Coach. Great advice throughout. And uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come on and share your thoughts with us. And, um, you know, hopefully we can get a chance to catch back up with you on the podcast, you know, maybe after the season or down the line and sure. and uh, see where you guys are at and how the season went. All right, sounds good. It's my pleasure. Thanks for Thanks for joining us. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you have questions or need more information on the recruiting process or player development, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. We're also very active on social media. You can find us on Twitter, at KeepPlayingBB, Facebook, Keep Playing Baseball, and Instagram, at KeepPlayingBaseball. If you've found this podcast to be helpful, please take the time to leave us a review and give us five stars. That'll help other people find our podcast and get access to great free information. We'll be back at it with a new episode soon, but until then, take care.